You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8 is where we're going to read here this evening. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. The Bible said he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray now that you'd bless this time of teaching from thy word and some preaching from thy word tonight. Lord, as we try to teach these principles concerning prayer, may thy sweet spirit work and move, uh, Lord, and teach us. Lord, help us to have ears to hear what the Spirit of God would say to our hearts tonight. And then, Lord, uh, as we uh, do some preaching about prayer as well, as we make an appeal to the people of God, to the church, uh, Lord, as we're coming into this new year to pray, to pray persistently, but to pray. Lord, to pray when we feel like fainting, just to pray. And Lord, I pray that you would just work in our hearts tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's little doubt in our minds as to the fact that God wills for His children to pray. I don't think any of us tonight that have been saved any length of time are ignorant to the fact that prayer is a double privilege for the child of God, and it's our duty as Christians. We, we enjoy the privilege, and it's our duty as well, amen, to pray. And you say, what do you mean when you say it's a double privilege? Well, first, it's our birthright privilege. Because you and I are the sons of God, He's our Father in heaven, and we've been taught to pray to Him as our Father who art in heaven, amen. He's a Father who loves to hear His children pray. In John 1.12, we find that we were born of God. As many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. And if I'm one of the sons of God, God as a Father loves to hear me pray. That's a birthright privilege that I have doesn't matter if you've been saved for 50 years or if you've been saved five minutes. If you've been born in the family of God, you have the same access and the same privilege and the same right to be able to come into the throne of grace and the same God will give you the same audience as He does everyone else that's saved by the grace of God. That's our birthright privilege. Amen. Let us not squander our birthright privilege of prayer. That's one of the greatest privileges we have in the Christian life is the privilege of prayer. But let me say, it's not just a birthright privilege. It's a privilege that goes along with being adopted in the family of God. We are doubly the children of God because we were born in the family of God. Amen. And we've been adopted in the family of God. 
The Bible says over in the book of Romans in chapter number 8 and verse number 15 and over in Galatians 4 verse number 6, God teaches this truth of the doctrine of adoption, how that we've not only been birthed, but we've been adopted in the family of God. We have the legal rights as an adult child. The moment we get saved by the grace of God, one of those rights is to come into his presence to pray. And the Bible makes it clear in both of those passages that I just listed that God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, crying, Daddy, Father. So the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ has been placed into our hearts because we've been adopted into the family of God and the Spirit of God cries out from the who Who do you think puts that desire in your heart to pray to the Father? It's the Spirit of the Son. And you're a son. You're doubly a son of God because you've been born in and adopted into the family of God. So this is a double privilege And at the same time, it's our duty, as we see in our text, the Bible said he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That wording would imply to me, as I look at that, that it's a duty that we have to pray. We ought to pray, as opposed to getting weary and well-doing. And can I tell you, as we come into a new year, there's going to be good times in this year and there's going to be bad times. I found out that as long as I've lived, 45 years this year, I've learned that there's always a summer every year and there's always a winter. There's always a, a bright time of the day and there's always a dark time of the night. Amen. And, and that's just how it is all the way around physically, sometimes financially, sometimes emotionally, sometimes spiritually. Amen. We go through good times and bad times, up times and down times. I was saying that brother at a church one place, I said, we go through up times and downtowns. And uh, everybody started laughing. I said, what did I say? Amen. But we go through hard times and good times. But at the end of the day, when that time comes, when we get weary and we feel the least like praying, that's when we ought to pray and not faint. Because the temptation is to, I'm telling you, when you get tired physically, do you feel like praying? Not me. When I, when I come home and I'm tired, when I'm tired physically and emotionally and spiritually, I don't feel like praying at all. I feel like getting in my recliner and eating a big meal and going to sleep. Amen. That's what I feel like, but that's when we ought to pray. He said, men are always to pray and not to faint. And so then he gives this, this parable, this story that's related to prayer that we're going to talk about in just a minute. Now, it's my desire to, uh, this evening just to teach a little bit about one aspect of prayer. Many times I've had people come to me uh, over the years and and ask questions like this, preacher, uh, how long should I pray for so-and-so? You know, uh, how long should I pray for this situation uh, before I stop praying for them? Or, Or preacher, I've prayed in some cases, people have prayed for years and years for an individual to be saved or for a family situation to be righted or for a financial situation or, or, or for a physical infirmity. And they'll say, you know, how long? How, you know, I've prayed and prayed and nothing's happened. And do, do you really think God wants me to keep praying about this? And, and, uh, and I've had people uh, come and ask the question, uh, are you sure that what I'm praying for is the will of God because I've prayed for so long and for so long nothing's happened. Maybe I'm not praying right. And so I want to try to allow God's word. I don't have, as an individual, the answer to every specific situation that could ever come up uh, uh, just within this body of believers here tonight. But I want to seek to allow God's word to answer these general questions. And it's also my desire as we teach and preach tonight that the Holy Spirit of God will cause our hearts to burn within us when it comes to this matter of 
importunate praying, praying in an importunate fashion. The word importunate, and that's, the, that's because, man, if we talked and preached about prayer, we could preach all year every Wednesday night, and you could not exhaust the subject of prayer. So we're just looking at that one uh, aspect of it tonight, importunate praying. If we were going to put a title on the message, it would be the importunity of prayer. And the word importunate, it literally means bearing on, pressing, or urging in request or demand. Urgent in solicitation. It also just in general means pressing and urgent. And then another definition given for uh, importunity is inciting urgently for gratification. You say, are, are we still talking about prayer? Yeah, we're still talking about prayer. Amen. And, and I, don't know, here, here, I, I guess I want to, uh, by way of introduction, ask this question to you tonight. Is your prayer life, when it comes to your prayer life, we're coming into 2019, a brand new year for you as an individual, a brand new year for your marriages, a brand new year for our families, a brand new year for our church. Is your prayer life, as we come into this year, is it dead or is it alive? What kind of a prayer life do you have? Is it dead or is it alive? Life produces warmth and the heat burns upward. It rises and it's the heat of our prayer that causes our prayer to rise before God. I believe that. James said, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if we were to look at the definitions of those words, when he said the effectual, the word effectual means producing an effect or having the power to produce an effect. Let me stop there and let me ask you the question, do you feel like, do you believe that your prayer life, as you pray, do you believe that there is the power of God within your prayer life to produce an effect? The, the word fervent, the effectual fervent, the word fervent means to be hot, to boil, to glow. It means ardent, very warm, earnest, excited, animated, glowing. Does that I'm talking to all of us, me, me included. Does that, does that reflect our prayer lives? The effectual fervent, that red hot, that boiling hot, that, that prayer that rises before God, there's life in that prayer. There's urgency in that prayer. I need God. I need the presence of God. God, I need you to move in my life. I need you to move in this situation. I need to know your will. I need direction for my family. Or is your prayer life now lay me down to sleep? I pray the Lord my soul to keep me. If I die before I wake, blame it on the green beans aid. Amen. What's, what's your prayer life like? I mean, it's so easy for, for what once burned hot out of a passionate heart before God to begin to lose its passion and, and those embers of love and passion in our heart that rise up before God in our prayer life. It's so easy for those to begin to get cooled down. And it's so easy for, for what at one time was a revived life of prayer to become a ritualistic life of prayer. And there's just no fire in the relationship between me and God as I come to Him in prayer. How is it with our prayer life? He, he goes on to say that prayer of the righteous man availeth. The word availeth means to profit one's self, to turn to advantage. It signifies having the strength and the force or the efficacy that's sufficient to accomplish the object. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now let's be honest. 
All of us are humans, and we have times where we struggle in our prayer lives. Amen, we do. Peter was praying over there in the New Testament, fell asleep, and God gave him a vision of some food coming down. I've, I've fallen asleep many times praying, and God gave me a vision. Of, I don't know, some, something gave me a vision of food, amen? And I woke up thinking about food when I was supposed to be praying, amen? But you know as well, there's times in your life when, man, something's going on, and I mean, God, God allows I'm just going to make a statement. I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself. But God allows things in our lives to press urgently upon us, to back us into a corner where there's nothing we can do to fix it because God desires us in his presence. Amen. And he'll do what he has to do to get us into his presence because he desires that relationship with you and I. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much if a medicine did not have the power or the strength to check the disease that was raging in your loved one's body, would you choose that medicine for them? If a gun did not have the power to stop an attacker, would you choose that as your weapon of self-defense? If a vehicle did not have the engine power, Brother Van Z, that, that Chevy out there, amen, didn't have the engine power to drive, amen, would you choose that vehicle to pull your trailer to take a road trip? The answer is obviously no, no, and no. Then why would we settle for a ritualistic cold, now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer? My soul, man, we've got to get, I mean, I'm not, when I say we, I'm talking about me, amen, we've got to get on this thing of prayer. We're coming into a brand new year. Let's make this the year of prayer for our families, the year of prayer for our church, amen, so that we can see God work and move in the manner that he wants to. I want to ask again, is your prayer life dead or alive? I'm not asking if it's loud or if it's quiet. I'm not asking if you stand or if you kneel. I'm not asking if it's long or if it's short. I'm asking you, could you describe, can I describe my prayer life as hot and boiling, ardent, fervent, effectual, availeth much? Let me give you some points here. I've got six points at 749. We'll most definitely be out of here by 945. Amen. All right. So let's go. All right. Let's, let's look at the premise of this story. All right. Jesus is teaching in verse number one. He spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And so we see the premise. He's teaching that men and women and boys and girls ought to be persistent in prayer. And we see that not just in this passage. We will see that all through the New Testament. We will see the Bible will have verses like praying always with all prayer and supplication. There's another verse that says pray without ceasing. There's another verse that says continuing instant in prayer. There's another verse that says watch ye and pray. The idea is that there is a persistence. There is a continued persistence in our prayer life. These are phrases that your Bible, that my Bible uses to teach us how to pray. He's not only teaching that we ought to be persistent in prayer, but he's teaching that we should persistently press God for an answer. That's the point of this parable, that we should persistently be pressing God for an answer. He said men ought always to pray. Did you know that God in his word commanded us to give him no rest at all when it comes to praying? That's a command that God's given us in His Word. Notice, notice in Isaiah, uh, uh, we'll compare Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7. If you want to turn there quickly, Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7. I want, you to, I want you to notice this comparison between the wording there and then our wording here in Luke 18. Men ought always to pray, always to pray, 
Always to pray. Continue instant in prayer. Pray without ceasing. I know I can't be on my knees every hour of the day, but I need to be in an attitude of prayer. Amen. In Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7, the Bible said, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall, notice the next phrase, never hold their peace day nor night. Then notice the next verse, ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence and give him no rest till he establish, till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now, when we rightly divide the word of truth, we find that every text has a direct interpretation and the direct interpretation of this text, the, the, the prophet is preaching to the people of Israel and saying, this is how you need to pray. We have watchmen that have been set up spiritually. Uh, we don't want those watchmen to give God rest day or night. We want those watchmen to continue to pray until God makes Jerusalem blessed again, until God blesses, till Jerusalem's a praise in the whole earth. That's the direct interpretation. There's always a practical application to the verses of God's Word as well, amen. And the practical application for you and I, we may not be praying necessarily for Jerusalem tonight, as they would have been brokenhearted and praying for their country and for their nation and for their capital city, but each one of us have something. We have something that's near and dear to our heart, like Jerusalem was near and dear to their heart and to the heart of God. And I can tell you, if you're saved by the grace of God, if you're a child of God, what's near and dear to your heart is near and dear to His heart. I can tell you that tonight. And he wants you to pray about it. And he says right here, he wouldn't tell these guys how to pray and then say, well, that don't apply to you guys. He said, man, this is important. Man, read those words again. He said, they'll never hold their peace day nor night and give him no rest till he establish. Is that how our prayer lives are defined? Or do we give up praying for that lost loved one? Or do we give up praying for that Sunday school class? Or do we give up praying so easily for that broken relationship or for that financial situation or that physical affliction? Do you give up in your prayer? I'm learning lots of different languages. I'm not learning the languages. I'm learning little bits about the languages, amen, uh, with the church we're starting. And there's a lot of folks here that speak Swahili. And, and, and I, may, I may butcher it, but I think it's Oswachi. Oswachi, it means never give up. Never give up. Can I tell you, when it comes to your prayer life in Swahili, Oswachi, <laughs> Never give up. Don't quit praying. Don't quit praying. Don't quit. That's the point. That's the premise of this parable, to pray. Jesus is teaching that we ought to be persistent, that we ought to press God, that we ought to persevere. Notice what he said, that men ought always, that's your persistence, to pray that's pressing God and not faint, that's persevering. Are you persevering in your prayer life? When you get tired, when you get discouraged, when you get weary, when you get defeated, when it seems like you pray and the one you're praying for is getting farther away from God, and that relationship you're praying for seems like, seems like it's more divided than ever, and that physical affliction that seems to haunt you seems like it's bothering you more than it ever has, do you just say, I give up, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Learn how to pray. Persevere in prayer. That's the premise of this whole story. Then I want you to notice the paradox here. You say, what is a paradox? Well, I, I put this message together several years ago, and I had to go back today and just remind myself what a paradox was, amen? So, so if you're thinking that, I was thinking the same thing as I was looking over these notes. A paradox is one, it could be a person, a situation, an action, or in this case, a parable, a story, that has seemingly contradictory qualities or phrases. In other words, what we see here is a paradox in this parable. God is going to teach us some truths using opposite contrast, if we could say it that way, contrast to teach a truth. 
We see the paradox in the petition, the one that's being prayed to in the story. We find this lady, and she's coming to this judge. And the Bible says in verse 2, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. We call him the unjust judge. In verse number 6, Jesus called him the unjust judge. He said, hear what the unjust judge saith. We see a, a, a contradiction or, or very contrary because the, the point the Lord's trying to make here is this is an unjust judge, but you have a heavenly Father who's very just. Here, here's a judge who does not care at all about this woman, but you have a Father in heaven who cares much about his children. We see, we see the paradox in the petitioners. It's a despised widow versus God's beloved children. I mean, if you look, the Bible says in verse number 3, uh, verse 2, this man did not regard man. In verse 3, and there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him saying, avenge me my adversary. She had an adversary that was treating her wrong. She had an adversary that was taking advantage of her, and frankly, that judge could not care less about how the adversary was treating her and about how terrible her situation was. That's contrary to the story, but he's using an opposite truth. The petition's an unjust judge. We pray to a very just God. The, the one petitioning is a despised widow, but you and I, when we come to petition God, we're not petitioning God as despised widows. or We, we petition God as his beloved children. Amen. And then we see, we see a paradox in the petition itself. We find in one uh, a, a case here with, with the widow, we have the frequent visits of one person coming before this unjust judge. But in verse number 7, verse 6, the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? It's just not one person going before an unjust judge who is despised and making this frequent visit and saying over and over again, Avenge me. This is all of the people of God. This is the collective body of Christ. This is God's people who come before him day and night. Amen. And he said, Shall not God avenge? his own elect amen we are his elect we are those somebody said are you a Calvinist I'm not a Calvinist but we are his elect amen for for knowledge is not for cause amen we are we are the elect we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God and I promise you you don't have a situation and you don't have a prayer and you don't have something that's bothering you something that's weighing you down as you come into this new year but that there's not a God in heaven who's much better than that unjust judge who does not despise you he loves you very much he cares for you I oh yes he cares I know he cares his heart is touched with my grief amen I know that when I come into his presence I'll tell you one of the reasons he cares so much is because he's walked where we walk. He's been through what you've been through. He took on a body of flesh 2,000 years ago, and he walked on this earth. You, you say, I've, I've had some sorrows. Hey, he was a man of sorrows. He knows where you're at tonight. You said, oh, pastor, but I've had many griefs in my life. He was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. Grief was a, a regular acquaintance to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I don't have much tonight. Can I tell you? The Bible said the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man didn't even have a place to lay his head at night. I'm telling you. He's walked where you've walked. You say, oh, but preacher, I've lost a child. God the Father lost his son at Calvary. Amen. I'm telling you, there's no grief, there's no heartache that you're going through that he hasn't been through. That's why you can pray to him, and that's why he cares for you and wants to help you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. We see the premise, 
we see the paradox, and then we see the persistence. We, you said we already talked about persistence earlier. Well, I'm going to talk about it a little more right now in verses 3 through 5. This widow in the city, she came unto him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. The Bible doesn't tell us how long a while was, but it's not a short period of time. A while is a while. If you're the one that's burdened, if you're the one the bill's overdue, if you're the one that has a loved one laying in the bed, if you've got Lazarus laid in the grave four days, a while's a while. Amen. That's your situation you're going through. And seconds in those kind of moments seem like hours, and hours seem like days, and days seem like weeks. And this woman, this widow, she kept coming back. She kept coming back. She kept coming back. The Bible said for a while. Notice in verse number four, he said, and he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man, notice verse five, yet because this widow troubleth me. She's coming back again and again and again. You say, how do you know? Because he said, she's troubling me. She didn't just talk to me one time and let it go. She's troubling me. Troubleth, that ends with an E-T-H. It, it signifies ongoing. It just keeps on going. As long as that judge is sitting in his place of uh, leadership and judgeship, and, and he has the ability to be able to help her. She's not going to let this thing die. He doesn't care about her. But he finally said, I'm tired of this woman troubling me. I mean, I get up, come into my job, and there she is, avenge me of my adversary. And I go to take my lunch break, and I'm going out for lunch, and there she is outside saying, Judge, avenge me of my adversary. And I get ready to go home at night, and I'm trying to go home and just get some rest. And she says, avenge me, my adversary. After a while, it's like, it's like Chinese water torture. Amen. Drip, 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 drip. He finally says, i got to do something about this. He's an unjust judge. He doesn't care about her. But her continual coming, her importunate coming, he said, i got to do something about this. Notice, he said, she wearies me. That's, that's, that's the wording he used in verse number Five, lest by her continual coming, there it is, continual coming. You see that? She's coming over and over and over again. She weary me. Friends, we have a double privilege of coming into the presence of God. And if God doesn't answer our prayers, and we know we're praying according to the will of God, we can just keep right on praying and just keep right on prayer, keep right on praying. Listen, instead of you fainting, bring God to the place, and God's never going to get weary of you, but just I'm just using this contrast. Bring God typically to that place where he's like, I'm going to do something for them. Let's bother continual coming. They weary. In fact, he says, shall not God avenge his own electric, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. Amen. Weary God with your prayers. Don't weary yourself with your worries. Weary God with your prayers. Amen. Keep coming to God. Keep coming to God. Keep coming to God. Can I tell you, while we speak of persistence, we invoke words like perseverance. We invoke words like urgent pressing. Uh, how many of you have ever lit a fire on your own? You just lit a fire. Yeah, many, many, many hands are going up. The rest of you, you push a little button and your stove just pfft, it comes on. Amen. You ever a little fire, and you light a fire, you pretty much st start with a little spark. Isn't that right? You have a little twig there, a couple little twigs, you break them up, and, and you start with a little spark. And then what happens after you get that little spark going and that little dry leaf or that little twig, you, you add a little fuel. And, and what happens, the fire grows. Now, some of you guys, you're good old red-blooded South Dakota boys, amen, and you just put a whole bonfire there and throw 50 gallons of gasoline on it and just blow the thing up, amen. But we're talking about how you're supposed to light a fire, amen. And you start little, and then you just uh, feed to, 
And what happens? The fire gets larger. And as the fire gets larger, it gets warmer. And it gets red hot. And you say, that's a fire. And that warmth rises upward. That's kind of how God wants our prayers to be. That's what I'm trying to tell you tonight. Amen. We start, we start praying before God, and, and we, it, it may start with just a little spark in your mind, but you add a little fuel to it, and you spend a little more time in prayer, and you get in that prayer closet where God said he'll reward those openly who pray to him privately, amen? That's what God said, man, I'm telling you, and you begin to throw some fuel on that fire, and you begin to pray, and you begin to pray, and you begin to pray, and the longer God waits, can I tell you this? If you're the one with the baby lying in the hospital between life and death, if you're the one in that big old bill that you can't pay is due tomorrow, if you're the one with that physical affliction that you can't heal or you're watching one of your loved ones go through that, if you're watching someone go through an emotional heartbreak or some kind of a separation, I'm telling you, the longer God waits to answer our prayers, the more intense our prayers become. They become effectual. They become fervent in nature. Lord, if you'd come, our brother had not died. You think they were sitting there not praying for four days? They were praying. The longer God waits, the more intense our prayers become. Notice other phrases and words throughout Scripture in relation to this kind of importunate praying. I'm praying because I have to pray. There's nothing I can do about it. I, I must press God. I must be urgent upon God. I need God to work and move on my behalf. If God doesn't come through, we're all done. If God doesn't come through, it's over. We need God to work on our behalf. We need God. We need God. We need, I heard one of the prayer requests tonight. If you were listening, I could hear it in the voice of the person that gave the request, pray for such and such. And I could hear it in his request. We need God. We need God to work and move in our situation. Listen, Importunate prayers likened in Scripture to, to striving. Striving would be a wrestling match. In Romans 15, verse 30 and 31, Paul said, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Husband and wife, when's the last time you wrestled together with God? That's the idea there. Prayer is being likened to a wrestling match where you come. Can anybody think in Scripture of an example where prayer was a wrestling match? Goodness gracious, can you think of an example? of? I can think. Can you think of an example? Raise your hands. Oh, yeah, man, there's Jacob in the brook. Goodness, man, there he is in the brook. Man, Jacob's got backed in a corner. Jacob has lied his way out of every situation in his life, practically, and he's at a place where he can't lie his way out of it anymore. He's in trouble. He's about to run into his brother who he deceived years ago, and there's nothing he can do, man. It's, 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 it, God's going to have to take over because he's all, hey, you ever feel like you feel like I've been where Jacob is a whole bunch of times, man. Jacob just kept messing it up worse. He'd mess it up and God fix it up. He'd mess it up, God fix it up. He'd mess it up, God fix it up. I've been there a lot of times, amen. Now he's messed it up so bad. And there met an angel with him that wrestled. That, by the way, that angel's God, if you look at the text. And, 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 and he meets that angel in the brook in a night season of his life, amen. Can I tell you this? I don't mean to get ahead of myself, but I'm telling you some of the greatest seasons of life for me and my family are those nighttime seasons, those wintertime seasons, those hard seasons where if God doesn't step in, if God doesn't move, it's all over. I'm telling you, I have grown by far, far more in the night than I have in the day. I have, and you will too, I'm telling you. And there Jacob is, and he's wrestling with God. He's striving with God, and they strive all night. Can I ask you, I'm trying to ask you these questions to, to provoke you to think, to provoke your prayer life a little bit. When's the last time that you spent a sweet hour in prayer? Because we sing sweet hour of prayer all the time at church. 
When's the last time that you spent a sweet, not a boring 10 minutes, a sweet hour in prayer? I've had it both ways. I know what I'm talking about. I've had the boring 10 minutes and I've had the sweet hour. Amen. When's the last time you had a sweet hour in prayer with the God of heaven? When's the last time you've been so burdened about a situation and you need a direction in your life that you come before God with the spirit of Jacob and you wrestle all night in prayer with God? When's the, have, you ever, have you ever spent a, a night season in prayer with God, a whole night? If not, I encourage you, early on in the year, get yourself a place. You come down here to the church, amen. Walk these halls, amen, but spend some time with God. Jesus is the Son of God. He needed to do it. I mean, before Jesus made any major decisions, but before he picked his disciples, the Bible said he went out into a night, uh, or he went out into a mountain and continued all night in prayer to God. That's what Jesus did. If Jesus did it, can I tell you I'm not better than him? He needed it. I need it. I challenge you. Man, brother, you got that acres down there, that little piece of farmland down there. I'm telling you, man, the springtime and summertime, get yourself a little trail and do some walking in the night, walking and talking with the Lord. Songwriter said he walks with me and he talks with me. Is that the kind of relationship you have with the Lord? Is that the kind of relationship you want to have with him? He walks with me and he talks with me. It's not me saying, you know, Hail Mary full of grace or now lay me down to sleep. I'm actually talking to God and God is talking to me. Amen. That's how our prayer life ought to be. Boy, there's a persistence. Praying, praying, praying all night in prayer. There's Jacob praying. And then about morning, and I don't mean to get distracted into the story, but about morning, the angel of the Lord says, let me go for the day breaketh. You think, Brother Poncho, that angel, that's God. Amen. God's saying, let me go. You reckon God could have made Jacob let him go? How many of you ever wrestled with one of your little kids? Amen. And you're laying there on the ground and say, come on, let me up. Let me up, buddy. Let me up. That's God and Jacob. Jacob, God saying, let me go. Let me go. And he, he, he doesn't want Jacob to let him go. He's testing Jacob's faith. He's testing Jacob's resolve. How bad, Jacob, do you want me to work? How, how much are you willing to, uh, willing to quit trying to figure it out yourself, to lie yourself out of situation? And Jacob said, I will not let thee go. We, I'm telling you, Eastside Baptist Church, I promise you on the authority of that book, we'd have a revival in this church. If the men and women in this church would say, we're going to get on our knees before God, and we're not letting God go until he blesses our church, we're not letting him go. We're, getting a hold, we're grabbing a hold of the horns of the altar. We're grabbing a hold of God and saying, we're not not letting you go. God desires that in your life. Some of your daddies, do it for your kids. Amen. The book of Lamentations, the author said, arise and cry out in the night for the life of thy young children. We've got children who are, some of our children, man, they're being raised in our homes. I'm talking about my home as well. Man, listen, as we raise our children up, they've got souls going to spend eternity somewhere. Don't wait until they've rebelled to start praying for them. Pray for them when they're little. Arise and cry out in the night to God for your children, for your homes. For your church, there's Jacob. You know what God said to Jacob that night? I don't mean to get hung up in this story. You know what God said to Jacob that night? Jacob said, I'll not let thee go till you bless me. And God, he, he blessed him. He changed his name that night to Israel. You, you say, why did he change the name to Israel? He said, because as a prince, you, had, you prevailed with God and man tonight in your prayer life. God said that he prevailed with God, and when you prevail with God, you will prevail with men. You will. You will, you will. When you prevail, if you can prevail with the God of heaven in prayer, you'll prevail with his little creation down here, I promise you. He prevailed in prayer. His name was changed. He wrestled with God. I'm telling you, importunate prayer is striving. Importunate prayer in Galatians 4.19, it's likened, it's likened to giving birth. Now, I just want to give a little word of testimony here and say thank God. I'm a man. Amen. 
I'm glad I've never had to give birth. Amen. And the women are like, yeah, you don't know what it's like to be a woman. Praise God, he's made you a woman. Hallelujah. Amen. Enjoy it. But it's guys like being guys. Amen. I'm telling you, I watched my wife in labor. I'm going to tell you right now. I said, that's tougher than anything I've ever done. Amen. By far. Man, our first one was born and our second one was born. I mean, it's not like, you know, I just thought when I was a kid, man, just babies just come in the world, just boom. There's one day they're not, one day they are. Amen. It doesn't quite work that way. Amen. There's, man, a woman goes into labor. You know what I'm saying? She goes into labor and, and boy, over time, that labor pain begins to intensify. Over time, those contractions get closer and closer and closer together until that baby is born. Can I tell you in Galatians 4, verse 19, Paul said, My little children of whom I travail in birth again till Christ be formed in you. Paul likened leading people to the Lord, discipling new Christians. He likened it to a woman giving birth. You say, why? Because as she has that labor pain and it intensifies and those contractions get closer until the baby's born. So Paul knew how it was to pray for people and to increase in his prayer life for people, to increase in his intensity, to increase in his fervency, to increase in his frequency until they were born again or discipled to that level that he was trying to bring them to. It's true. I'm telling you guys, Importunate praying. Colossians 4, verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Wow. Jude. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves upon your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. He says, is that some level we reach? No, that's just, that, that, that's just speaking of the intensity of the heart, amen, the frequency of that prayer life, the fervency of that prayer life, amen. How's your prayer life tonight? Oh, man, there's a lot of examples, but, man, my time's running out. You don't have the time, and I promise you, I don't have the stomach, literally. Uh, but verses 5 and 6, look at here. This is good right here. This is where business picks up. There's a payoff. There's a payoff, man, where there's been, where there's been this premise given and this paradox given, and we see this persistence in praying, there's a payoff because we see the unjust judge. He finally answered, amen. He said, I will avenge her. He didn't care about God. He said it himself. He didn't care about God. He didn't care about her, but she was following him everywhere he went, everywhere, and, and at all hours, and he got tired of it, and she was troublesome, and she pressed him everywhere he went for an answer, and she urged him, and she begged him, and she embarrassed him, and she got louder, and she got louder until he finally answered, and Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge saith. Now, what he's saying right there is learn a lesson, guys, right here. Learn a lesson. Hear what the unjust judge saith. I'm about to teach you a lesson. Learn a lesson right here. If persistence pays off with an ungodly judge, certainly we have a righteous father who forgets not our works, who forgets not our labor of love, who keeps track of our prayers in a bottle, and he will answer every time if you just keep on praying. Someone says, man, I prayed about this for a long time. Should I keep praying? Can I, can I ask you a question? Is stopping praying going to help? Is stopping praying going to bring an answer? He said, ask and it shall be given thee. If it hasn't been given, keep asking. 
Notice the progression. Seek, you go from just sitting asking to seeking. Now you're up looking around. Seek and ye shall find. Notice the progression. Knock, now I'm out of door in my life. Knock in the door. I'm not just asking, I'm not looking. I found the door. Knock and it shall be opened unto thee. For everyone that asketh, he findeth. Those that seek, uh, they findeth. Those that knock, the doors open. These are, these are words that we read all the time. They're true, Brother Blake. They're true. I believe with all my heart they're true. There's a payoff. And then we tie that payoff to verse 7 and 8, a promise for the believer. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long? I'm telling you, God right there just told you. At the beginning of the story, you knew if he's talking about us fainting, it takes a man a long time to get in a position where he's going to faint. Not all of our problems are, now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep kind of prayers. Though he bear long with them. And we come down to the end here. And I mean, he says, Shall not God avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him? Day and night, day and night. He's, he's talking about, though he bear long with them. They've been praying for a long time. Do you see that? He bore long with them. They've been praying for a long time. God's going to answer. In this case, he's going to avenge his elect. In your case, he'll answer that prayer. Just keep praying. Just, can I tell you, church, just keep praying. You say, it's hopeless. It ain't hopeless to God. <laughs> it might be to you, but it's not to God. That's why we're praying to start with. Amen. It's helpless. It might be helpless to you, but that child isn't helpless to God. Keep praying. Amen. God can intervene. God can work. I believe that with all of my heart. I'd put my life on that. That's a promise. And he says, notice this, when the answer comes in this parable, he said, shall not God avenge his own elect speedily? When the answer comes, it comes. That's an amazing thing to me. I don't know about y'all, but I think we could all tell stories of times in our life when we've had situations where we were moved to prayer, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and a month went by, and two months, and sometimes three, four, five, six months went by, and all of a sudden, just like that, what we're praying for got answered. I heard a preacher say years ago, and I've tried to practice it. All that time that you invest in praying, you ought to spend as much time thanking God for after, after he answered the prayers you did praying before you prayed. I, th- I thought that was a pretty good little lesson right there. Think about that. I, I, I'll just tell you this personal story. I'm just about done. Uh, several years ago, I had about three different situations going on involving our family and church up in Hoven. And, 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 and I needed God to work. I was in a situation we needed God to work. We needed God to work and move. We, we were at an impasse. We, we were between a rock and a hard place on three different fronts, maybe four. And I got to a situation, somebody out in the public, unsaved world, confronted me about one of the situations. Man, I got sick on the inside. Man, I, I'm like, man. And I went back to the church and I was broken because now somebody in the world's coming and pointing out a flaw within the church. And it's something I could not change. It's something that we had no power. The only thing we could do, brother, was pray. That's all we could do. You can't make people do right. You can't make people live right. You can't, you can't right every wrong out there. All we could do is pray. But I was so burdened because of the nearness of it to our family and to our ministry and how that the testimony would hurt the work of God. And I came to a place, and some of the situations have been going for several years, some for several months, but I came to a place where I told my wife, I was broken. It was a very broken time in my life. I told my wife, I said, listen, I'm going to my office. I'm going to go in the office, and I'm not eating. I'll take some water in there. She said, you ought to take some bread. I said, I'll take some bread in there and some water if I get hungry. But I'm not leaving this office until I know that God has heard my prayer. I can't leave it. I was broken. And I was in that office uh, 
for about 36 hours. And I don't say that at all to say, look what I did. That's not what I'm saying. I was in that office for 36 hours. I was broken. I knew there's nothing I could do to change the situation. And somewhere in there, I ate about half that loaf of bread. (laughs) I got hungry, amen. And uh, I I, I told her, I said, I don't want anybody to disturb me. I'm not taking a phone in there. It's got to be me and God, and God's got to move an answer. And when I left the office 36 hours later, I did not have an answer to any of those prayers, brother, ever. Not one of them. But I'm telling you, God gave me a peace somewhere in that second day of praying. God gave me a peace. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You need to get out of the office, go get some sleep and get back. It's going to be fine. I'll take care of it. And I'm going to tell you, God gave me such peace about the situation, brother. Honestly, he did. And I went out, and the, the, the next week we had to deal with stuff, and the situations went on, and the situation went on. But I don't know, somewhere five or six months down the road, somebody brought up something. And I said, what are you talking about? And they said, that situation. And I looked back and said, wait a minute. God answered that prayer that I was so broken about back then. And God answered the prayer. And I started, I said, man, and it was probably four or five months later, but he answered it. And he answered it so quickly and in such a way we didn't expect. I never, I'm just being honest. This hypocrite up here, this terrible guy, I didn't even think to thank God for it. It just, and all of a sudden it came to my attention. He answered, he had answered this prayer. And then I thought, wait a minute, I spent all that time in prayer. Let me go back. And every other situation that we had prayed about, every other situation had been answered within the past two months. We was about six months out. Didn't all come when we wanted, but when it came, it came. Amen. And, and God did it, and so I'm, I'm being honest, in such a subtle way that I didn't even really pay attention to it. I didn't even, and then all of a sudden I looked back and said, man, that was fa-. Six, mo- six months. I mean, uh, leading up to that prayer time seemed like a long time, but after it was all over, I was like, wow, that was fast. That, can I tell you, God will avenge his own elect. God will meet that need. God will right that situation. He will. Keep praying to the God that can right the situation, to the God that's the healer of broken relationships. Keep praying to the God who's the supplier of all your needs. He's still Jehovah Jireh. He can still provide. Amen. Keep praying. Amen. And one day you'll look back and say, what happened to that financial? What happened? Man, and you'll see the hand of God working. It's not our prayers. It's the hand of God. But we pray in faith knowing that that big old God that we have can answer our prayers. Amen. Well, we've got to wrap this thing up. It's 821. Listen, let me give you this. Ephesians 320, now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. There's, there's little old puny you and me way down here. And God said, that's them asking and thinking, but I can do above all exceeding. I mean, look at the words, all above abundantly exceeding amen that's what that's what god said he'll do for you and i exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to what the power that worketh in us what's that that's the power of the spirit of god on the inside of our heart moving us to pray when you get tired and you don't feel like praying the spirit of god says pray son you pray when it's the middle of the night and you say i need to sleep and the holy ghost says pray now's the time to pray you just pray you just pray you just pray and that power that works in you amen god will honor that. He'll answer that. He'll answer the prayer. Let me give you this. I'm, I promise I'm through. I promise. Can't make a liar to myself because I'm preaching, right? Verse number eight, the peculiarity, the peculiarity that we see here. He said, and I want you to notice the irony of this parable. He ends the parable, and let's bring it down to where you and I live tonight, and then it's going to be prayer time. Amen. He said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, ha- has he come yet? Has Jesus come yet? Are you still awake? (laughs) He's not come yet. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on earth. Now he's talking about prayer. And he's linking prayer with faith. That's why James calls it the prayer of faith. Now you would think 
after you just read that parable, after we know how big our God is and how he's, he's not an unjust judge and we're his children and he cares about us, you'd think that when Christ asked that question, everybody would say, well, of course he's going to find faith. I mean, why wouldn't we have faith in God? Why wouldn't we pray? If he really is our problem solver, why wouldn't we bring our problems? If he really is a relationship healer, why wouldn't we bring our relationships? If he really is uh, the, the supplier of all of our needs, why wouldn't we take our needs to him? Why wouldn't we bear our hearts before? If he really can do all this that the Bible says he can do, why wouldn't we? And that's the question tonight. That's the, the peculiarity of this whole story is that Jesus ends it with a question. Nevertheless, in spite of what I just told you, when the Son of Man comes back, shall he find faith on the earth? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't we, Brother Hash? Why wouldn't he find faith? But the answer to that question, I've heard preachers all doomy and gloomy kind of preachers. They're like, Jesus said when he comes back, he's not going to find faith. That's not what he said. He didn't say he's not going to find faith. He asked a question. Shall he find faith? Big difference. He's not making a statement. He's asking a question. You say, what's the answer to the question? You'll answer that question. I'll answer that question. You say, what do you mean? Your prayer life determines. Uh, the people who are living when Jesus comes again determines whether he finds faith on the earth or not. I'm asking you tonight, is there a situation that you have that you believe God could write, that you believe God could fix, that you believe God could answer? Then why wouldn't you pray? Why wouldn't you take it to him? Why wouldn't you pour out your heart to him? We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.